Hello, my fellow underdogs. Today, you are in for a very special treat. For this episode, I was lucky enough to interview comedy legend, voiceover actress, improviser, and alum of the original cast of SNL, Lorraine Newman. For those of you who aren't familiar yet with Lorraine's extraordinary life's work, start by listening to her new memoir, May You Live in Interesting Times, out now on Audible. I am so excited to share this episode with the world. On the surface, Lorraine may not seem like our typical underdog. Growing up in Los Angeles, Lorraine was highly involved in the LA improv scene and part of the Groundlings, which soon took her to New York City, where she joined the original cast of Saturday Night Live for five years. She describes in her memoir with hilarious detail and from her own voice some of the countless epic experiences that came with her years of success before, during, and after her time at SNL. However, there were several realities and personal challenges that came with her years of professional feats. Without giving away the entire episode, what I can tell you is that Lorraine speaks her whole truth about the feelings of unhappiness and isolation that also accompanied her fame while living in New York and for some time afterward. On the outside, Lorraine had made it to the top. She had achieved success. However, in reality, Lorraine felt the opposite for quite some time. She felt she didn't deserve the success she had earned. How Lorraine felt on the inside was the opposite of what people saw on the outside. I'm sure many people out there can relate to those feelings. I certainly can. Bottom line, feeling like an underdog makes you an underdog. Identifying as an underdog doesn't keep you an underdog forever. In fact, it makes the journey more relatable and authentic and shows true growth. Lorraine Newman's story is special because she shares her genuine self and all the personal challenges she had to overcome throughout her career. On Success for the Underdog, those are the stories we are looking for. Without further ado, please enjoy episode four of Success for the Underdog with my friend and comedy legend and our fellow underdog, Lorraine Newman. live hello hello fans underdogs fellow underdogs we have a very special guest with us today lorraine newman i am so stoked you're here um, i am so stoked to be here rachel <laughs> i really just i i listened to your audiobook uh all eight hours of it um yeah. it got me through plenty of drives to and from new jersey so that was nice and excellent thank you Yes. Um, you're, it's out on Audible. May you live in interesting times, a memoir by Lorraine Newman. And I think it's just fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. And normally we start the show off with two questions. Mm -hmm. uh, so I will begin with the first one. And the first question is, how do you define the term success as it applies to your life and you personally today? Um, 
my perspective uh, has always been that uh, I never really thought about success in the beginning. You always just kind of follow your passion. So really, it's all about following your passion. And then as we get older, we realize you're going to face a lot of hardship, a lot of disappointment, and maybe even a lot of that in a row for a period of time. And so really success, and and it's also been the definition of courage, is to keep going even though you're afraid uh, slash uh, discouraged. So in a word, maybe... uh, Perseverance. Yeah, perseverance, resilience, and growth uh, as a result. Yeah, always growing, always uh, learning new things. Uh, And again, it was never like, uh, I never have been a person who could see the big picture. So all I ever did was uh, say, hey, I'm I'm interested in this. I'm going to go learn as much as I can about this. Oh, I'm I'm interested in that over there. I'm going to learn as much as I can about that. And that is how I think we just, I talk about in my book about the compendium, how we fill our compendium. And it's with life experiences and to remain interested in, in life uh, and remain interested in learning new things. How would you have defined success the same term as it applied to your life during your time before SNL, like LA Improv, The Groundlings, mm-hmm. and during SNL? Well, um, God, that's almost embarrassing to try and frame that because it's it's from such an unevolved perspective. And um, you know, there is a lot more superficiality, certainly, as it applies to me at that age. Um, not that I wasn't deep and sensitive. I was. Uh, but I also had very immediate needs. Uh, when I was at the Groundlings, I, I didn't really question it because I was in a very loving environment, very supportive environment. And you know, we we had just formed this company and we're doing like scene nights where we would present stuff that we've written and it would either get chosen to be in the show or it wouldn't. And I was fortunate enough to get a lot of my stuff into the show and that was very affirming, you know. So, um, you know, I had a day job and I did the Groundlings and then I uh, was hired to do this Lily Tomlin special and then I went back to my day job, and then I thought, I'm just going to focus on this full time, even though my parents said, or especially my mom, I don't care what you kids do, as long as you don't go into show business. Even with Tracy uh, well, doing her thing? Yeah. I mean, Tracy was already successful and had her own TV show on PBS and was like uh, a successful folk singer and in the new Christie minstrels and being an MC at all the comedy clubs in New York and introducing me to her friend, Richard Pryor, when I was 14 and <laughs> stuff like that. That was a great story, by the way, folks, you have to listen to her audiobook to get that one. And before I move on, just to make it clear for the listeners, Tracy is Tracy Newman, your sister. That's right. My big sister, so, I, I mean, I think I would have defined success while I was on SNL as having more airtime, and I think that everybody felt that way. 
because, you know, it became very clear very early the the rewards that that would bring you. And when you mentioned earlier the superficial uh, kind of answer to the second question, um, I just want you to know that that's the point um, of the order of the questions is that we most answers are normally the same. Like mm-hmm. back in the day, people, I'll speak for myself, like my definition of success was validation, external mm-hmm. validation, whatever that meant, comedy, writing, uh, whatever I was into at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so now it's completely different. Well, I think because, you know, you can only feel okay about it when you understand that it's a nature of uh, not being developed, uh, being immature, and uh, not having a broader perspective. And the only thing that can bring us any kind of confidence, which might translate into a notion of success, is experience and surviving things. You know, getting back to your time uh, moving from L.A. to New York, spending five years in New York, moving back to L.A., um, being not the youngest cast member, (laughs) but the second youngest. Uh, Apologies to Dan Aykroyd. And you really bear your soul in this book. I I think that's that's a big point, too, that I wanted to bring up. You are very honest and you get vulnerable and you say things that most people can't. Um, say out loud on their own. And thank you for saying that because that was really my one of my goals in the book is uh, because I, I, f- I rarely read about stuff like that in memoirs, the the extent of the self doubt and talking about you know something that I think most of us have, which is that we think everybody thinks what we think, <laughs> and God forbid that thing we think is a negative thing. You know, it's almost like uh, I have insurance against being hurt because I've already thought the worst thing about myself. So you can't possibly say the worst thing I've already thought of it. It's so funny because listening to your audiobook with your voice, it's almost like I was hearing my inner voice back when I was 22. I was like, oh, man, uh, like, I wasn't even on SNL and I put that pressure on myself. <clears throat> Ah, score, um, score. Yeah, it's just really a lot of growth. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think anybody could relate to um, your honesty and your candor in the book. So I myself, speaking for myself, really appreciated that. Oh, thank you. Because it's only out on audiobook, correct? That's right. Unfortunately. It's wonderful. <laughs> um, it, it's, you know, it is their business model. And fortunately, I'm a voice actor, so... It was a really uh, perfect marriage of my writing and, and vocal performance. And you're an incredible voice actor. Oh, my note. God. Thank you, Rachel. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank y'all. It's hard to, I guess, on the surface, say that you're an underdog because, you know, on paper, you grew up in L.A. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, you didn't. You went to Beverly Hills High School. Yeah, I was privileged in many ways. Although, let me just say, we started in Westwood. (laughs) You know, even to this day, I really do feel that my success is is being part of an ensemble. Um, I I really feel like I learned a lot more and improved my work after the show. So it's very hard for me to watch the show. And I did feel like an underdog in the sense that, you know, I was really probably the least... I felt the least uh, recognized cast member 
least popular cast member. And, you know, I think that I was sure people drew conclusions about that. But as time has gone on, it's almost like um, the success and accomplishment of everybody else has is, is kind of almost been applied to me. Um, and there will be people, and there have been people that have said to me, oh, but I loved your work. You were my favorite one. And, you know, uh, but I, again, it's, I think this is the reason it's hard for any actor to watch their work is that they've learned more since they did that particular thing. So it's like, oh, I could have done, oh, why didn't I, oh, God damn it, you know? Yeah, but I also was just very uh, immature, uh, unsophisticated, and um, had no business savvy at all. And I was completely alone. I, I did not have like a, a family or friend base in New York. And so everybody at the show became my family, which is a wonderful thing and, and endures to this day. Um, but I was very alone. I didn't have anybody giving me advice. <clears throat> um, and it felt like I didn't have anybody really in my corner. Uh, but I really realized that the most important person that needs to be in your corner is you. Um, that's the only real um, condition that can allow you to um, enter into growth and development in a way that is not hampered by ego. There was definitely some great insight there. And I want to get back to that isolation a little bit, because what I thought was really interesting about those feelings of isolation that you had, even though you were surrounded by people and the cast and everything, you know, you felt this kind of anxiety. Um, mm -hmm. That's what I got from it. Um, the isolation, the loneliness in New York. Mm -hmm. But it turns out, you, I think, you know, I don't want to quote you if I'm wrong, but it turns out you weren't the only one feeling that way. That's absolutely true. And you only, of course, learn that years later, that everybody had their own, everybody has their own set of problems, you know. And uh, people on the outside think so-and-so has it made, but they don't realize that people all have their own pathology and it's going to manifest in ways that will either defeat you or uh, help you to be more successful. Absolutely. But, you know, and it goes to your writing, it takes people like you to kind of get honest and put the feelings out there, get vulnerable for people to realize, oh, my God, like I wasn't alone in that. That's been one of the surprising things to me is, you know, I have a lot of male comedian friends who are, you're tough guys, you know, <laughs> I mean, you never really consider what kind of inner life they may have. And I've been on their podcasts, and they have gone on and on about how much they related to the honesty of the feelings in the book. And I was so surprised by that, but really gratified, because, you know, these are not if they're not feminine or masculine, they are just the human condition. Absolutely. And that's what's so special about it. I, I have taken a big interest in memoirs lately. Mm -hmm. um, I wish I had it in print because there were so many times I wanted to bookmark and I underline. I know, I know. That. I had to. Um, I was uh, one year I was at Sketchfest doing an interview. I was... Uh, for a book that had been on tape, uh, written by Meryl Marco and Mer Megan Keister called The 
the indignity of being a woman or something like that. And it's just like, you know, all of the uh, beauty rituals uh, starting from, you know, the age of Cleopatra <laughs> and how most of it was poison. And, uh, you know, in, in trying to formulate my questions for the interview, it was all on tape. So I had to kind of rewind, and it's just oh, it's yeah, just it's so hard difficult to, because especially you know, there's so many good parts in your book too that like have so much content that I would love to talk about. But you know, it did move me enough for me to remember a lot of things, um, mm-hmm. those feelings that we were talking about, and mm-hmm. you know. I think one of my favorite parts, uh, I really did want to mention this, was when you were, you mentioned you were in the lobby of 30 Rock. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm going to say. Uh, and John Lennon and Yoko Ono were walking past you. And this is when your voice acting happened. <laughs> you did a great impression. But John turned to you and said, hello, Lorraine. <laughs> Hi, Lorraine. Hi, Lorraine. But like oh, that yeah. right there is a moment, you know? Yeah. But at the same time, you know, there was a lot of pressure you were putting on yourself despite John Lennon knowing who you were. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think when you're young and you're in a situation, which is, you know, SNL is an extraordinary situation for anybody at any age. But I think that the cast members that do well are older and have had more experience and have more proof to themselves that they can survive things. Um, and they're more developed as artists, so they know what they're doing. Um, I was completely bewildered by the whole process. I didn't quite get um, the landscape and how it would have been better if I'd found someone that I could collaborate with that could really that really got me. But I was so paranoid that people would not think I was funny that I didn't want to venture, uh, you know, um, trying to expose ideas that I had lest they be criticized, you know, and then I'd crawl back into my hermit shell. <laughs> Honestly, I, I, I like the word you use, survival. Um, it it almost, you know, I want to move past SNL soon, but um, is that kind of a word you'd say would describe your, your time in New York? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, I'm not the only person that felt that way. Survival is definitely uh, something that everybody faced on that show. Yeah, it seems like it. And, you know, it was a new show, too. It was something Lauren Michaels was trying out, I guess. You know, there Mm -hmm. was no Saturday Night Live before Saturday Night Live. Well, there actually was. Uh, That's why we were, in the very beginning, we were simply called Saturday Night. uh, Because Howard Cosell... Howard Cosell had a show called Saturday Night Live. It was on at the same time we were, and he had a rep company of, you know, actors amongst whom were Christopher Guest. You know, I can't remember the other cast members, but anyway, they did not last. And that's when we could take on the name Saturday Night Live. But for the first year, we were Saturday Night, NBC's Saturday Night. That's interesting. Um, Speaking of Christopher Guest, uh, I wanted to talk about your voice acting a little bit. Okay. Uh, because I think, you know, things, you know, change definitely from what I got in the book when you moved back to LA. And you're an incredible voice actress. And thank you. I think it's fantastic. And I just want to know, like, I guess the feelings you had, all this excitement in New York, and you're on the show, 
And then now you're on a plane back to LA. And I just want to know how you got into voice acting. Well, I had had kids and um, I had become increasingly uncomfortable with auditioning for on-camera work. Uh, not because I didn't think I should have to, it was because it, it, I was phobic about it. And it took me a long time to really understand that that's what was at work. I did not have a lot of experience as an actor, and I, it took me time to understand that I really didn't want to be revealed in that way. It's why I chose comedy, so that I could do things that I had control over, create and write characters that said what I wanted them to say. But, you know, as a result, I found it very hard to interpret other people's material. And because of my prolonged drug use, it uh, really kind of preempted an emotional journey that I should have had. So, you know, things that would be obvious to a lot of people, like, you know, what do you, what happens when you, you know, lose a loved one or anything like that. Although I knew what the emotions were, I didn't know how to act that, or I wasn't willing to act it because I didn't want to be observed having feelings. And that is pretty much the job <laughs> description for an actor is the willingness <clears throat> to, if not be revealed, at least uh, being able to simulate and be believable in showing those kind of emotions and vulnerability. I was not willing to do that, and I didn't understand. I, I had a lot of trouble with other people's material. It had to be very niche for me to really get it. And that ended up being why there were only certain jobs I got. It was just, you know, even to this day, I uh, the last thing I did was a thing for HBO called Losa Spookies. And it was written by Julio Torres, who is an SNL writer. And he's very, very different. And I love his humor so much. But, you know, it's like he offered me this thing and, and I read it. And it was like, yes, I understand how to do this. And I said, wow, she's a bitch. He said, yeah, I wrote it with you and you in mind. It's like, I saw that Spike was in that. Yes. Spike is a regular on that show. I really thought that was a cool, I I saw a couple episodes on HBO, right? Yes. uh, Spike is my child for my firstborn for everybody out there. And they started shooting the second season. Uh, They shoot it in Chile. And um, then the pandemic broke out. So now it's like a matter of getting uh, you know, Fred Armisen's availability and Julio's availability. I don't know if they're going to continue. I know they've shot some of the second season, but I don't know if they'll they'll keep going with that. I hope they do. I hope they do too, because now it's on my it's, it's at the top of my list. Now we were just thinking about what show we should watch. It's, it's so good. I, you know, it's a different form of pressure. I think um, what you're describing, voice acting versus auditioning. I can't even imagine. You know, it's almost like that dream where you're naked in front of everybody. You wake up. Yes, yes, that's exactly it. Hearing this one monologue, you know, to these people who don't know you. And I I don't think I could handle it. It was more about I didn't know what I was doing. And I didn't think that what I was doing is good, was good. And knowing that is extremely distracting. 
You know, it makes it very hard when you don't feel that you what you're having to offer is very good. And that was really what the issue was. Not that, you know, I mean, that's what, where the fear came from was just going in and not believing in myself. So it just got worse and worse to where, you know, I, in the meantime, was still developing, was still performing, was going to San Francisco Sketch Fest and, you know, um, took part in this show called Celebrity Autobiography that's created by a guy named Eugene Pack and his wife, Dale Rafel, and it's celebrities reading from celebrities' autobiographies. And, you know, I had all sorts of shows that I was doing, these live shows where I was learning how to do things more and working a lot with my voice. And I had a manager at the time, Lori Feig, and she um, set me up with a meeting with a voiceover agent and uh, who was Arlene Thornton. And um, I auditioned for two years before I got a regular series. I, I booked jobs, which was great. But uh, until I took a class with Charlie Adler, I was not getting any series. And finally, after two years, I booked a series and then one after the other after the other. And to this day, I've never stopped working, and I'm so grateful for that. But um, <clears throat> it is really an art form that I absolutely love. And I'm really excited for my daughter, Hannah, because she's just booked a lead role in an animated series. Um Yes. I mean, aside from being on this show, I got to tell you, for she which she's... blew our minds. <laughs> like she really was, inc- oh, I, I couldn't believe that I grew up with this girl. Like she, I was like, holy shit. Like yeah. life's going to blow up now. <laughs> yeah, I know, but I'm so excited for her because she's, I've always thought that she had such a great gift for voices. She does amazing dialects and she was so funny in some interview she was saying, um, that uh, I kept telling her to do her, you know, more characters and dialect work in her stand-up, and her not doing it was kind of like, you're killing your mother! Is that what she said? (laughs) Kind of like, in some interview, it's like, if you don't go to the Growlings, you're killing your mother! I'm really, I'm actually going to see her do stand-up in November with my mom. Yeah, I can't wait to see her do stand-up in Brooklyn. Um, Those tickets sold out real fast, uh, and I can't wait to see it. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm I'm so excited for her to have that gig. But, you know, when I uh, started booking regularly, it was perfect because I could still be home to cook dinner, you know, um, and be, you know, have a normal routine for the kids. And it also, of course, painted me into a corner because when I would read them bedtime stories, I would do all the voices of the characters. And sometimes I'd be a little tired. And it was like, don't put mommy to work. Like, read you know? the story right. <laughs> Do the characters? Yeah, right. exactly. I, you know, I, I can relate to. You mentioned earlier about the, the drugs and kind of how that maybe could have stumped, uh, I guess, your growth as an actress. Absolutely. I think Absolutely. drug addiction, at least from my own experience, seeing it and also dealing with it for a while, um, I think addiction mm-hmm. just stops life for a while um yeah. and i exactly. it stops your development and i think you know sure. being a new person in the entertainment industry and feeling like you're not ready um that maybe you're mm-hmm. too amateur 
and also being addicted to drugs and not allowing your body to have that growth and your emotion emotions to have that growth. I mean, that must have been pretty hard. Well, it was it was just a handicap and I didn't really get that. Um, all I knew was that I had to have something to stop the voices in my head that were defeating me terribly and making me feel like shit. Uh, you know, I was one of those people that took cocaine to calm down. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, that's why, you know, later on I, I took a test and I realized I had adult ADD. Well, there you go. <laughs> so it's probably something I, you know, and that's why I liked coke so much because it helped me to focus. But, um, yeah, but I, I actually, when I, I got Adderall, which really helped me a lot, but then I kind of outgrew the need for it, <clears throat> which you know, is really what one would hope for. <clears throat> but um, that really helped me a lot. I, I, I bet. And it, it does make a lot of sense. Like it adds up to like what you talk about in the book um, and also what you're saying here, just kind of that stump in growth in life because you had this other thing mm -hmm. that was just eating at you yes. as well, uh, uh, despite the pressure yes. that you put on yourself. Um, and... So you started voice acting, and that's where you met my mom uh, in the Loop group, right? Oh, no. I've known your mother. Well, no, that, that was way before that. I met your mother. Your mother stayed with me when I was still doing SNL. She, she would come. I've known your mom since she was like, I mean, she's a lot younger than I am. So uh, she was just a kid when I met her. And uh, so I've known your mom for a long time since That's the what, 70s. You know what? Her and I had a conversation the other day and she said the same exact thing. And I forgot again. I apologize. Yeah. But she's <laughs> like, no, right. we knew each other. The, the, loop, the loop group that I met her in, you know, I had already known her. And that really wasn't voice acting. That was more, Improv, that was something a little, a little different. Um, yeah. But it was the first loop group, which is pretty cool. Um, from what I heard, the first official looping group. Um, I I didn't know that, but I wouldn't be yeah, surprised. Yeah, I'll fact check that. Um, but, you know, it was my mom, at, at least according to my mom, it was a really good gig. It was a great gig. And it was also filled with really talented, funny improvisers. And, you know, the only thing that those improvs served to do was to entertain us for eight hours because everything we did was mixed down. You couldn't, you know, every once in a while you could hear the, the ad libs, but for the most part, it was just, it kept That's us going. That's awesome. I, I love, first of all, I love improv in general. I love seeing improv. I love doing improv. I actually signed up for a level one improv here and did it this summer because I was like, I don't know anybody in oh, Boston. Oh, great. I have a I have a lot of respect for people who do improv, not just professionally. Me too. Just for fun too. Yeah, I'm not that good at it. See, that's why I you always are wrote my own stuff. It. That's the thing. That's that's the that's my point. You know, and I do this to myself all the time. You know, I, I bring myself down when really, I, you know, I'm doing I'm doing well. You know, um, but I'll get yeah. hyper focused on one thing. You know, like auditions. I don't mm -hmm. think I could. I could take it. Just the rejection. It's just too much. And that scene you described well, here, of your last audition, it just, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
That yeah, is are you talking about the one for Robert with Robert? Yeah, De Niro yeah. Or? Like I no wait no. Oh no, the or the one, one that actually led led me to getting sober. Yeah, and, okay, and your yes. man, your yeah, agent that was, called and was like, uh, that's for people yeah. to buy the audio, audible audiobook to listen to it because it's a it's a good story, and also your life changed after that. Well, I think something about my book also I, that I wasn't able to include was, you know, in the beginning I do talk about my love for music. And where that took me and all the incredible bands that I got to see growing up. You know, I saw the Beatles twice and I saw, you know, Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin and, you know, all the blues stars you could ever think of. And what I couldn't get around to in the book was how much I love going to Coachella. And that kind of ties into, you know, the continued interest and pursuit of of my interests throughout my life. Um, we, we started going in 2006, and um, it's how I uh, was able to maintain, you know, a, a knowledge of current bands. And then, of course, I had no expectation of this, but I, I've come to absolutely love electronic dance Are you into dead mouth? And I'm, I love dead mouse. I love Skrillex and Diplo and Flux Pavilion and Flume That's and so cool. oh my God, Twelfth Planet. <laughs> you know, I just I love Trolley Snatcher and and you know um, Casper. But you know, I I'm so alone. There is nobody my age that is into that music, and uh, it's just sometimes I think uh, that's also part of what has always made me feel outside of things is that uh, you find your kind in in your world and in your life. And in comedy, I've found my kind. I haven't quite found my kind in, in music <laughs> where I can find someone who will go hear, hear dubstep or EDM with Look, me. Look, I'm you know? down to go. And let's I go actually... To a, let's go to a dubstep <laughs> show. <girl>. All right. <laughs> let's do it. Okay. Um, yes. <laughs> wait, but also about the live music thing in Coachella, I think that's really interesting yes. because... I was just talking to my boyfriend about this, but with COVID, we just missed li seeing live music so much. I know. Like, that I was know. a big part of us, like, when we started dating and also my life in general. Like, I've been to Coachella a couple times, I think 2010, 2011, great years. Um, but, mm -hmm. you know, that's a big part of my life, too. Um, I discover most of mm -hmm. my bands that I love now at festivals such as Coachella so it's right. almost like you're getting it all done in one weekend. You get to see all the bands you love and the ones you don't know. Um, so it's nice that you have that and, and that's like special to you. It's something that gets me excited. I mean, I think another uh, definition of success in life is to still get excited about things. Absolutely. I love that. To still get excited about things and to still, and I guess that still kind of pushes you in a journey, you know? Because life Absolutely. is just yes. a never-ending journey. But, you know, I think that you're not alone in that. You're not so isolated, as isolated as you think you are. I I think my dad wouldn't want to listen to dubstep, but my mom would be game. But, you know, like I think I think my you mom think? would go to Coachella. Absolutely. There's a great concert uh, movie called The Tammy Show. And it was shot at the Santa Monica Civic Auditorium. And in the lineup was just kick-ass. It was just 
I mean, everybody, uh, uh, James Brown, uh, Smokey Robinson and the Miracles, uh, the Rolling Stones, and they did something called a simulcast, which was unheard of at that time. And they would broadcast it live at a movie theater in Westwood Village, and I was there for that. I saw that show, but it was remote. The first remote you know? concert, <laughs> maybe. Yes, that's exactly that's pretty it. cool. That is real. I mean, it's just like yeah. the coolest stories you could ever imagine, you know, from music to actors yeah. to d- directors, Robert De Niro. That was funny. And, you know, I'm sure oh, yeah. it was hor- horrifying in the moment. But, oh, God. you know, people love that. I love that. I love that. Honestly, I love when you tell the real stories, the ones that really get into the nitty gritty. Well, I try and offer it in a humorous way, you know, because... You know, uh, a lot of times, of course, you add time to any of these things and they're funny. Um, And that was how I saw it later on. And reporting the uh, inner monologue of going through something that you think is failing miserably can often be a source of great mirth. You know, that's another thing. The point of this show, too, is to kind of get rid of that negative implication of the word underdog because underdog Mm -hmm. stories, how, whatever they are, whatever the content is, are the best stories. And most movies, most shows, I mean, hacks, you know, and any show Mm -hmm. that I've watched recently is kind of an underdog story, except for succession. I just started succession. Well, I guess he's kind of, are you kidding? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, the I was just going to say he's kind of oh, pathetic, Jesus. but you know, <laughs> yeah. you could cut that out. Oh but, yeah. God. But so oh, man. troubled. There's a lot, yeah, there's a know? lot going on there. That's a, That's a great I'm, I'm show. Um, I'm really late in the oh. game, but we needed something after Hacks. Um, but actually, I'm going to go back to Losa Spookies now. Um, did a lot of people feel like Yeah, underdogs? exactly. Uh-huh. Um, and the underdog notion like it really isn't a bad thing Mm -hmm. because being an underdog and getting through something or failing and getting back up again and pushing through that is the kind of story that I want to watch in a movie or read in a book it's motivating it's very motivating and it's a better story than just a perfect person yeah I mean it would be better for all of us if we strove you know, to improve, uh, succeed, whatever you want to call it, if we did it through a healthy place of just, you know, wonder and uh, fascination, which I certainly have as well. But it's also just feeling that I'm not good enough and I've got to try and be better. And I, I think that there's a lot of very successful people that are operating from that standpoint. Absolutely. Um, and I just think it's really cool that you got honest about all that. People need to hear that because Mm -hmm. then they feel less alone. I'll speak for myself. I feel less alone, you know, and some of those Mm -hmm. uh, insecurities and that voice in the, in the head. That's exactly what I was going for. And you did it. You know, you did it. Thank you. (laughs) Beautifully. Thanks. And we're so glad that you agreed to be on the show because I, I couldn't think of a better person after hearing your audiobook. Oh, thanks. But yeah, you know, you've been through so much. You have so much life experience and so much wisdom to share, even though maybe you think you don't, but you really do. Uh, even just being the one 
or being at one Beatles concert. I mean, that's incredible. You know, uh-huh. like, <laughs> yeah. uh, I definitely think that, and I don't want to give everything away, but you just, people out there, you just need to listen and you just need to listen to her speak it, um, the memoir. And it, it's, it's more moving that it's your voice. And uh, oh, it feel, you. you know, and I hear my voice in it. I hear my mom's voice in it. I hear plenty of people mm-hmm. that I know that could relate. You know, it, it's it's fantastic. Oh, thank you, hon. I appreciate it. Yeah. And, it, you know, I'm really proud of Hannah. I'm really proud of Spike. You guys are just really thank doing you. great. I'm I following you guys on Instagram. I'm very and proud of them. Keeping up. Oh, thank uh, you. Or at least Hannah and Spike. I don't know if you have an Instagram. I do have Instagram, yeah. I... It's just out Lorraine Newman. Uh, some of the things I post are I watch so much TV. And when I f- see like a bit that is funny to me, I will film it. And I have this character, the little old Jewish woman who's watching TV and commenting on what she's watching. So that's just and that's just especially during the the. Uh, the real confinement of the pandemic that was so fun for me to do i think a lot of people and are entertained exactly. myself i think a lot of people's creative sides came out during the pandemic i my i Absolutely. figured out that i like reading a lot i i once yes. i quit law school i decided i made a vow to myself never to open a case book again and <laughs> ever uh-huh. and uh memorization yeah and, I and then I was just like I'm just gonna read for pleasure as long as I can and um you know I figured out I started playing guitar Cal was my guitar teacher um over zoom oh, wow. and a lot of people started drawing my friends started you know, I think in some ways some the pandemic did bring out the good side of people and the people yeah I started learning Swedish on Duolingo I loved it I don't know. I might mm-hmm. want to learn Swedish too. <laughs> Actually, I'm kind of down to learn German <laughs> or something, something really hard like French. Swedish is not easy, I'll tell you. Oh, God, no. Um, but yeah, I think that coming out of this pandemic too, it's really important to talk about these things and to talk about these truths that you talk about in your book because a lot of people are going through it. So thank you for your candor for being so honest in your book. How much time Thank did it God. take to record that, that audio book? Uh, four hours a day for four days. Uh, that, that's a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, obviously I'm, I'm used to working in voiceover, but in animated cartoons, you really don't talk for four hours. They book you for four hours, but you're not talking right. for four hours. Was it hard to read your own words? I think I had reconciled the content before I, uh, you know, had my final draft. I reconciled. I mean, you know, there are stories in there like about farting in front of Prince. It's like, do I want people to know that that happened? But it's so funny. Okay. You know, so you have to make these decisions. Yes. That's funny. Um, so listeners out there, if you want a good laugh, a good cry, a good moment with yourself and your emotions and, you know, just growth, you want to hear a story of growth, you should definitely go on Audible, buy Lorraine's, uh, memoir, which 
by the way, again, is called May You Live in Interesting Times, a memoir by Lorraine Newman. And that's L-A-R-A-I-N-E. Boom. <laughs> did I get thank it right? You. Thank you. You did. Thank you. Thank you. And also, just thank you for coming on the show, Lorraine. Oh, it's my pleasure, Rachel, of course. And you are fantastic. And I, I can't wait to see you whenever I see you next. But I will yes, definitely say to hi to Hannah when I go to the Bell House, which is a great venue, by the way, um, in Brooklyn. Yeah, I've never been there, but so I heard fun. it's really it, it nice. It was an old Bell warehouse. Uh, but <laughs> it lives up to wow. the name. But again, thank you, Lorraine, for sharing with us your life and your stories and your book. Do you have a website? My website has been hacked, but you can still visit it. Uh, a lot of my writing, my, uh, and I also have two big um, essays about Coachella on my website, if anybody wants to read it. And it was just what I would do when I would get the lineup is I would go down every single band and listen to their music so that I knew who they were and decided who I liked, you know, who I wanted to see while I was there. So, uh, along with the people I already knew about. So how can I find that? Because I want to read that. It's all, it's on um, LorraineNewman.com. It's been hacked, but I don't think that impedes your ability to navigate it. It's just got some weird writing on it, and I don't I'm know so how to fix it. I'm so sorry about that. I could set you up with somebody sorry. that could maybe help. It's a quandary within a conundrum. LorraineNewman.com, L-A-R-A-I-N-E-N-E. WMAN.com. There's lots of ways to spell Newman. Again, thank you, Lorraine. You're an epic guest. You're, it was an honor to interview you. So thank you. Oh, thank you, sweetie. 